It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. June 8th, 2010. For the first time in the history of the feckless Washington Nationals franchise, there was a baseball buzz in the air. Fans and media members dubbed it Strasmus, the day Steven Strasburg, the number one overall pick in the 2009 draft, was set to make his major league debut against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park. Welcome to the 2009 Major League Baseball First Year Player Draft. The Washington Nationals select Steven Strasburg. He strikes out the side. He brings his total to 14. Nolan Arenado. He was drafted in the second round. Career hit number 1,000. Paul Goldschmidt drafted out of Texas State. That's number 200. J.D. was drafted and developed by the Astros. Homers in four consecutive plate appearances. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim select Michael Trout. A unanimous American League MVP, Mike Trout. Swinging first pitch, drives one out to center field. That ball is gone! Big fly for Mike Trout! Greetings, baseball fans. I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, MLB.com national columnist, and this is the second of six installments in our series going deep on the 2009 MLB Amateur Draft and how it changed baseball. Baseball scouts had dubbed Strasburg a, quote, once-in-a-lifetime talent, and, quote, something you have to see to believe. The talent, the potential, and the radar gun readings were all off the charts. In the 364 days since the Nats had made him the obvious first choice in the draft pecking order, Strasburg had received a record $15.1 million contract, then blown past the competition at AA Harrisburg and AAA Syracuse. Now, just one day after the Nationals had selected another no-doubt-about-it number one in Bryce Harper, Strasburg had arrived at Nationals Park to show everybody what the fuss was all about. And he did it in striking fashion. This crowd is crazy. Swing and a miss! Steven Strasburg's first Major League strikeout, and it ends his first Major League inning. One, two, three. It was a Tuesday night, a game featuring two last-place teams, but a sold-out crowd of 40,315 people roared as if it were October when Strasburg unleashed his killer curve. 2-2. Big breaking ball for the strikeout. His triple-digit fastball. Fastball by him. Strikeout number nine. His catastrophic changeup. Crowd reacting to every pitch. Another strikeout. Strasburg lived up to the hype and then some. In a seven inning masterpiece, he allowed a two run homer to Delwyn Young, but little else. He struck out each of the last seven batters he faced to set a team record with 14 strikeouts, with the fans demanding a curtain call after his last inning of work. 
You know, I, I just wanted to go out here and soak everything in. You know, this only happens once, and I've been waiting for this time for, you know, my entire life. And uh, just to go out there and, you know, say that, you know, I've, I've had my first outing in the big leagues, it's just, uh, it's just awesome, you know, and I had an amazing time. Strasburg had put the Washington Nationals on the baseball map. He had enlivened imaginations with his electric stuff. When he made his second start in Cleveland, his profile was so large and his pull was so unique that the Indians set up a stand to sell his jersey in their ballpark. At 21 years old and just a year out of college, Steven Strasburg was a superstar, but a reluctant one. What many of those enamored with the 100-mile-per-hour heat didn't know was that just four years before he was a national baseball phenomenon, Strasburg went undrafted out of high school. As his stuff improved, his profile rose. But Strasburg craved competition, not attention. This is the story of how a burrito-loving kid with a bad body became a national, or nationals, sensation, who reshaped not only his body, but the future of a franchise and the entire MLB draft system. And how, along the way, he never got swept up in the accolades and the enormous attention. Good fight here by Granderson. Strasburg drops one down on him, strikes him out. Here's the set, the one-two to Jerko. Swing and a miss. That was a nasty diving changeup. Strasburg with strikeout number five. Again, the three-two. And he struck him out. Devastating changeup. Big hook. Did not give him a heater on three and two, and that's number 10 for Strasburg. Bryant strikes out for the second time, and Strasburg strikes out the side. Got him, number 1,500, and Strasburg has done it in the second least games ever and the least innings ever. Estrada's Taco Shop in Santee, California, just outside of San Diego, is the kind of strip mall, hole-in-the-wall, Mexican joint where you can get a carne asada burrito stuffed with french fries, cheese, guacamole, and salsa. But nowhere on the large colorful menu adorned with reasonably priced rice, beans, and combo platters is it claimed that Estrada's is a training ground for elite athletes. You go there for takeout tacos, not nutrition shakes. Back in the early 2000s, a 16-year-old Steven Strasburg, ironically the son of a dietitian, was enjoying his first intimation of teenage independence when he began to make Estrada's a daily part of his diet. I just remember it was kind of the spot that I'd want to go to by my house that I grew up in. Um, once I got my driver's license, that was kind of like the, the thing for us and the other guys to do was to go get California burritos. So. Strasburg was a pitcher for West Hills High School, but he was not the pitcher with broad shoulders and a slender waist that you saw in 2010 or that you see today. In his junior year, Strasburg weighed in around 250 pounds, and he did not wear it well. We often refer to the years of youth and inexperience as one's salad days. But Strasburg's high school coach, Scott Hopgood, remembers that period as Strasburg's burrito days. I, I was teaching at another school, okay. just, just uh, over the hill uh, at Sarah. And I was teaching there and then coaching at West Hills. So I had sixth period prep. So I'd call him and go, hey, are you, are you getting a burrito? He goes, yeah, I go, get me a burrito. So 
he would give me a burrito and we'd sit in the dugout and eat burritos and then okay let's go to practice um you know not thinking too much of it uh but you know he just he didn't like to run and but he loved to throw i mean we we would throw all the time uh, but conditioning was, was not uh, the top priority. Strasburg had a fastball that could reach 90 miles per hour, but to say he was not reaching his potential at that point is an understatement. His weight was a big enough issue to lead to some alarming incidents on the field, as Hopgood remembers. There was one game, uh, he was on first base, and he took a secondary and his knee buckled. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, we got him out. And then we got a big game going. It's A.J. Griffin, you know, big leaguer, yep. pitching, pitching for gross money, ended up being MVP and pitcher of the year and everything. He was phenomenal his senior year, phenomenal, undefeated. And Strasburg. And these two are just going punch for punch. And it's a phenomenal ball game. And I think we're in the sixth. And Strauss is striking out a ton. AJ is striking out a ton. And he throws a pitch. His knee buckles. And he just, you know, collapses on the mound. I'm like, oh, man. I go, I, if he blows me out, what's going on? And it, it buckled again. Um, but that was just, you know, lack of strength. I mean, they, they end up doing a bunch of tests on him. And it's just, you know, 250, two, 245 pounds is rough on a young body. Um, but uh, so we had to pull him off, brought in a relief pitcher, and gives up a two-run homer, and we lose. So, yeah. Um, but that, that the weight was an issue, and because of that, I didn't play. He was our best power hitter, and I, I rarely let him swing because I didn't want him on the bases. It would be years before Strasburg would realize how far behind he was in terms of his conditioning. He says it ultimately came down to a lack of education on how to properly prepare. I would say, you know, the, the weight thing was kind of odd because you kind of didn't even realize that it was out of hand. But, you know, it's like when you go hit it like kind of big growth spurts, you know, it might come on a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, again, it wasn't like I was getting, you know, a lot of direction and, uh, hey, this is how hard you need to work and this is you know, the conditioning program that you need to get on. Um, and I didn't really have any of that. It was, you know, kind of just go out there and pitch once a week, and, you know, it was, it was pretty much it. Strasburg won just one game his junior year. He gained a reputation for being soft not just in the belly, but also in how he handled adversity on the mound. When his defense would misplay balls behind him or umpires would make a call he didn't agree with, he would scream at them. When opponents would chirp at him from the dugout, he would get so rattled that he would overthrow his fastball. As Strasburg neared draft eligibility his senior year, when scouts would ask Hopgood about his best pitcher, he wouldn't talk about Strasburg. He would talk about a lefty named Aaron Richardson. So at that time, there wasn't much interest in Strasburg from big league ball clubs. The eventual number one pick in the 2009 draft went undrafted in 2006. As far as Division I schools were concerned, Strasburg's options were limited. Fortunately, at a showcase in Las Vegas during his senior year, Strasburg had impressed San Diego State's pitching coach, Rusty Filter, 
who, despite what you might think from his name, is more of an expert on pitching mechanics than car fuel mechanics. Filter liked Strasburg and was willing to go to bat for him, which is why Strasburg says his fate took a turn when he went to that showcase in Vegas. I went out to uh, the showcase in Vegas with my dad, and I really only went out there because the Stanford recruiter said, oh, you know, I'm going to be out at the showcase. I want to watch a pitch. So I go out there and uh, pitch really well, like dominate, and um, then find out that the same recruiter never showed up. And uh, San Diego State um, pitching coach was there, and he's like, hey, like, I know, you know, you're in our backyard. Like, I want you to come over on a visit. Went over on a visit. Um, you know, they offered me a scholarship. Filter implored San Diego State's head coach, the legendary Tony Gwynn, to give him an opportunity. But Gwynn felt much the same way the scouts in the area felt, that Strasburg was nothing special, that he wasn't even the best pitcher on his own team. Nevertheless, he took his pitching coach's advice, and Steven Strasburg became a member of the Aztecs. Here's what Gwynn told the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network about Strasburg back in 2010. He was, he was kind of raw. I, I think his... his the thing he had to learn was how to be tough, how to be aggressive and go after hitters. Um, and my pitching coach at the time, Rusty Filter, I thought did a wonderful job of getting him to be more aggressive as a pitcher. But just setting foot on a Division I campus was only a fraction of the battle. Before he could suit up for the Aztecs, Strasburg, who had never set foot in a weight room in high school, had to survive their fall 2006 conditioning program. It nearly didn't happen. The program was run by Dave Oten, San Diego State's longtime strength and conditioning coach who was a demanding and intimidating figure. For one of the drills, Oten had the players line up along the goal line of the football practice field and sprint to the 50-yard line and back multiple times. Strasburg's cheeks reddened. He gasped for air. He couldn't do the drill without vomiting. And there were times when teammates had to hold him up it didn't take long for Oten to give Strasburg a nickname, Slothberg. He told the kid he should consider quitting. And for a time, Strasburg considered doing just that. There was a Lowe's and a Home Depot near his house. He figured he could go mix paint for a living if it came down to it. Oten passed away in 2018, but back in 2009, he told Sports Illustrated, quote, I demoralized this young man. I didn't even want him around the other players. I had never seen a college athlete who was as far behind as he was. I didn't think it was possible to be that bad. Here's what Strasburg had to say about Oten's influence. You know, he taught me a lot about discipline. He taught me a lot about, like, the, the process and, you know, effort being more important than, than the results in, uh, day in and day out. So um, never quitting. Um, you know, I think that was that was something that it was like inadvertently at the time. It kind of just like you know gave me the edge because he kind of told me he thought I should quit. Like after you know two weeks of failing the conditioning and just being you know this most out of shape guy on the team, and it was a lot of it was like kind of like proven wrong. But the um, maybe it was just that little thing that gave me over the hump to realize that it's like hey, like if you really care about this, you need to step it up. The Aztecs left campus for their winter break, but that's when Strasburg went to work. With the school's weight room closed, he
He signed up at a local L.A. fitness and began the process of shedding 30 pounds of bad weight. He ate better. He ran better. And soon, he pitched better. That spring, his velocity rose, as did his prospects with the Aztecs. Filter convinced Gwynn to give the freshman a shot as the team's closer. And Strasburg wound up saving seven games and striking out 47 batters in 37 innings. The doughy kid, who mere months earlier couldn't finish his sprints, was now a svelte stud finishing games. The turnaround happened just that quick. But the real leap occurred in January of Strasburg's sophomore year. At a nighttime intra-squad game just before the start of the season, Strasburg, preparing to be a starter, reared back and uncorked a fastball. One of his teammates was in the stands behind the plate holding a Jugs radar gun, and he relayed the reading to filter in the dugout. Strasburg still remembers the moment he hit 100. Our pitching coach was like, what are you trying to tell me? You know, what, do you, what, is, that's the guy, like, what are you trying to tell me? Is that me? And he's like, one, zero, zero. Yeah. And so that's when he told me, like, after my, my outing, he's like, oh, by the way, you, you, know, you hit 100. And I was kind of like, wow. Like, you know, that's, yeah. I didn't believe it at first, but kind of kept going after that. So it was, it was nice while it lasted. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Time and Tommy John surgery would eventually rob Strasburg of that vaunted heat during his big league career. But back at San Diego State in 2009, before triple-digit velocity was as commonplace as it is now, it was an attention-getter, as then-assistant and current San Diego State head coach Mark Martinez recalls. Obviously, the next time he threw in an inter-squad, the stands were full. You know, and, and, and the, you know, the word got out in, in a very quick amount of time after his first time out. Um, you know, he, he was throwing it, and he wasn't sitting 100, but he touched it, you know, and he's probably sitting 98. It was crazy. And the rest of Strasburg's arsenal also improved. His curveball, the weapon that had attracted the interest of Filter, became a firmer, sharper pitch when Strasburg adjusted his grip at San Diego State. And during that sophomore year, he learned a changeup that gave him a legitimate three-pitch mix. Combined the depth of his arsenal with his pinpoint control, and in the eyes and minds of baseball evaluators, Strasburg morphed from afterthought to attraction. In his sophomore year, he made 13 starts and went 8-3 with a 1.57 ERA, striking out 133 batters in 97 innings. On one especially absurd April evening, he struck out 23 batters in a game against Utah. Strasburg became so good, so fast, that he caught the attention of longtime MLB manager Davey Johnson, who was putting together the U.S. Olympic team for the summer games in Beijing with a cast of minor leaguers. With many major league organizations reluctant to allow Johnson to poach their top pitching prospects, Johnson, who as fate would have it, would wind up managing Strasburg in the big leagues in Washington, asked the kid to represent his country. Strasburg was the only amateur player on a team that featured future big leaguers such as Dexter Fowler and Jake Arrieta. And he was dominant in his first start for the U.S., taking a no-hitter into the seventh inning against the Netherlands and finishing with one hit allowed and 11 strikeouts over seven innings. So Strasburg had now made a name for himself both nationally and internationally. Strasburg went into his junior year a clear candidate to be the number one overall pick in the draft, 
as MLB.com draft and prospects expert Jonathan Mayo remembers. There had not been a player who was so obviously the number one pick in the draft in, in, in quite some time. Uh, there had always been some questions. Uh, there wasn't the runaway guy that started, you know, I mean, it was him and then, and then Bryce Harper came after him when it was this no doubt about it. This is the number one, number one pick. Um, and so it allowed for everyone to just kind of load up uh, in, in covering him uh, because there hadn't been this kind of uh, hype around a baseball draft pick. Ah, but who would have that pick? As the 2008 Major League season wound down, the competition for the lowest winning percentage in the sport and the first pick in the 2009 draft might not have been a central focus of baseball fans at the time, but in retrospect, it can be appreciated as a rousing race to the bottom. Going into the last four days of the season, there were three teams in play for baseball's worst record. The San Diego Padres were 61-97, and the Nationals were 59-99, and and the Seattle Mariners were 58-100. and Just imagine an alternate universe in which the Padres get to pick the hometown kid with the blazing fastball and the impact such a pick might have had on baseball history. In 2010, Strasburg's rookie year, the Padres squandered their NL West lead in the final week and were eliminated by the San Francisco Giants on the last day of the regular season. Had Strasburg's 1.5 wins above replacement in that 2010 season been applied to the Padres instead of the Nats, do the Padres win the West? Does the Giants' dynasty of three World Series titles in the 2010s even happen? Well, all we could do is imagine, because on September 25th, 2008, at Dodger Stadium, this happened. 7-5 to five, San Diego. Hoffman delivers a fastball and a ground ball in the hole. It's short. Rodriguez picks it up, throws the first, and that's it. And the Dodgers lose, and they clinch the National League West. And they get a standing ovation. <laughs> that 7-5 to five victory over the Dodgers mathematically eliminated the Padres from the Strasburg sweepstakes. It was down to the Nats and the Mariners. This time, imagine a world in which Strasburg is a Mariner. Does Seattle's active postseason drought still reach the status of longest in American professional sports, now 17 seasons and counting? Or does a rotation fronted by Strasburg and peak-level Felix Hernandez pitch the M's to the promised land? We'll never know because of what happened at the tail end of 2008. The Mariners lost on September 25th, a Thursday, to maintain their standing as the worst team in baseball and to prolong a period in which they dropped 14 out of 15 games. But when the Oakland A's came to Safeco Field for the final weekend of the season, the ice-cold M's picked a bad time to have a good time. On Friday, it was a two-homer night for first baseman Jose Lopez off Sean Gallagher that keyed a 10-8 victory for the Mariners. And that's hit to deep left field. Back goes Buck to the track. The wall makes a leap. And that baby won't fly away. 
So Jose Lopez is 16. Home run, a three-run blast. And just like that, the Mariners have come back, and they lead it by three. On Saturday, the Mariners erupted for six first-inning runs off Oakland starter Greg Smith. The outburst capped by a three-run home run from Kenji Jojima, the same Jojima who finished that season with a lowly 332 slugging percentage. Next pitch, swung on, and a fly ball at the deep left field. Head that baby is going to fly away off the facade of the upper deck. Kenji Jojima, a three-run home run, and the Mariners have a six-to-nothing lead here in the first for Jojima, number seven, and he's at the 40-RBI mark. Meanwhile, the Nationals were in Philadelphia. Their Thursday game against the Marlins, the last game on their home schedule, it had been rained out and would not be made up. So when they lost on Friday and Saturday to the Phillies, they matched the Mariners in the loss column, but with one fewer win. Aided both by the storm system that had descended upon the district and their own ineptitude, the Nats were the new owner of baseball's most putrid winning percentage with one game left to play. In the Nats season finale, they had a three-run lead going into the bottom of the fourth inning. But then So Taguchi came to the plate against Odalis Perez with two runners in scoring position. He lines the 2-2 into center field, a base hit. Rounding third and heading for home is Jason Worth. He'll score behind Lou Marson. It's a two-run single. The throw gets away. Taguchi slides into second, and the Phillies have tied it up at three. And then Eric Brutlett stepped up to bat. Line drive down the left field line. If it's fair, it's extra bases. It's fair by a good margin, and it's extra bases. It's going to be an RBI double for Eric Brutlett as Taguchi scores. And the Phillies have scored three runs with two outs, and they now take a 4-3 to three lead. The Phillies would add another run in the sixth, three more in the eighth, and when Clay Condry got Emilio Bonifacio to ground out to end the ball game, it was official. The Washington Nationals were number 30 in the standings, number one in the draft. Even if the Mariners wanted to look back and gripe about the effect the Nats' rainout had on the draft standings, they couldn't do it because they had the gall to complete the sweep against the A's later that day with the go-ahead run driven in by Unieski Betancourt, of all people. So, how did the Nats' front office feel about winning by losing? Let's ask Mike Rizzo, who was assistant general manager at the time, but nearing his appointment to his current position as Washington's general manager. Hated it, hated yeah. it, wanted to win every game. Yeah. Didn't, even, didn't even think about uh, the ramifications and, uh, and that type of thing. Uh, you know, if we would have picked second or third in, in the draft, we would have picked, picked the right guy. We'd have picked, we would have picked another big leaguer that, that, uh, that we, we would have been really happy with. Uh, but no, I, never, I always I wanted to win every game going down a stretch and, uh, and then let the chips fall where they may. Let, show, tell us where we draft and we're going we're gonna to take the best guy. So yeah. uh, we, yeah, I, I remember, uh, I remember at, you know, ending that season and, uh, and we, you know, we, we staggered in and, uh, and had, had a bad finish and, uh, and uh, we, nobody was happy about it. Once we found out where we were at, it was, you know, that was, uh, you know, like I said, it was a clear, you know, yeah. concise pick for us in our mind. It was Strasburg. Barring injury, ineffectiveness, or alien invasion, it was always going to be Strasburg. 
As early as the November general manager's meetings, then Nats GM Jim Bowden was asked about Strasburg and said, quote, he looks like a national. In his junior year, Strasburg made 15 starts, went 13-1 and with a 1.32 ERA, and struck out 16.1 batters per nine innings, helping to win the Golden Spikes Award and lead the Aztecs to the NCAA Regional for the first time since 1991. In just three years, he had gone from second-team all-league in high school to all-world. His fastball was touching 102 miles per hour, but with a shockingly easy motion. He had matured in every way, physically and mentally. Opponent hits were no longer a source of frustration. They were a source of surprise. And where once, as a freshman, Strasburg couldn't leg press even 600 pounds, now he was up to 1,200 pounds. His vertical leap had improved from 24 inches to 33 inches. Strasburg was as close to a perfect pitching prospect as the game had ever seen. Eddie Bain, the Angels' scouting director, who would famously take Mike Trout at number 25 overall in the draft that year, remembers watching one of Strasburg's starts. I saw three innings, and it was just, you know, 25 unhittable pitches and five pitches that you might be able to put in play. You know, stuff like that. He was just, it was, it was ridiculous. And the first question always was, why didn't we do this out of high school with this guy? And the guys, I looked at our reports, area guys, they had him turned in, but he was a, you know, he was a right-handed pitcher that was a little heavy, that stuff was 91, 92 maybe, and just, you know, not, not anything near what he was even as a freshman at San Diego State. Even players in other conferences, in other divisions, in other parts of the country, were intrigued by the Strasburg phenomenon. Future big leaguer Mike Fires, for example, remembers tracking Strasburg's strikeout total throughout that 2009 spring season, even though Fires was pitching Division II ball at Nova Southeastern in Florida. Here's what Fires had to say about that. Yeah, I remember he was leading the world, and, well, it was like so... D2, I don't think we play as many games as D1, mm-hmm. but it was like me and him, um, I kept I kept up with him in like the strikeouts and like, cause I, I led my, you know, I led D2 in strikeouts and uh, had 145 and it was like the same with him. Like we were kind of side by side, but they had more games and he took off. I think he, he might've had like 200 or something yeah. like that year. It was, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but it was like, it was kind of cool to see like a guy like that that was projected to be you know, one of the topics in the draft and, you know, me coming up and, you know, who, who knows? I didn't know what I was really thinking. I just saw that guy and I kind of looked up to him because, you know, obviously he was really a pitcher through hard. Um, and so I was just trying to keep up with him and I think he kind of pushed me a little bit because I, I followed him a lot that year. The strikeout total, which for the record landed at 195, was unusually high but it was the expected signing bonus total that really drove the conversation about Strasburg that spring. Strasburg was represented by super agent Scott Boris, and there were reports that he would be seeking in the neighborhood of $50 million in guaranteed money for his client. That was, is, an astronomical figure. To that point, the highest contract ever given to a draft pick had been the $10.5 million deal signed by Mark Pryor with the Cubs in 2001. As Strasburg's senior season evolved, 
and he continued to live up to his billing as the top draft prospect in the country, fewer and fewer scouts showed up at his games. Any pipe dreams that he might fall outside the top three died a quick death, so there was no need for clubs other than the Nationals, Mariners, and Padres to watch him. And the Mariners and Padres were only watching him in case his contractual demands were too rich for the Nats to stomach. But while it was no secret it would cost a pretty penny to sign Strasburg, Rizzo, for one, was never spooked by the conversation. Three years earlier, Rizzo had been scouting director for the D-backs when he took Max Scherzer at number 11 overall despite Boris's steep financial demands. Scherzer pitched briefly an independent ball while the two sides worked to hammer out an agreement, but ultimately Arizona gave him a four-year, $4.3 million contract. Here's what Rizzo had to say about his approach to high-value, high-dollar picks. You know, my, my history was I, I, I take the, play, the best players available, uh, and you pay for talent, and, and, uh, and that's always been my, my uh, uh, approach, approach when I was a scouting director in Arizona and when I, you know, because if you don't, you don't get Strauss, and you don't get Scherzer, and you don't, you don't, you don't get those guys. It's uh, if you're if you're going to go by some cookie cutter cookie cutter a graph on a, on a page, you don't you don't you don't you have to pass on those guys. And yeah. uh, and it's you know to me when you're passing on on talent, and the amateur draft is probably that in the international market is the best bang for your for your buck as far as to acquire players. Yeah. You're, uh, you're foolish for, for passing on talent to save a few dollars in the amateur draft. So by draft day, Strasburg's selection at number one overall was a foregone conclusion. With the uh, first selection in the 2009 first-year player draft, the Washington Nationals select Steven Strasburg, right-handed pitcher from San Diego State University, San Diego, California. MLB Network invited him to appear on the set in Secaucus, New Jersey for their first ever draft telecast. But true to form for the shy kid from Southern California, Strasburg opted to watch at home with his family, friends, teammates, and coaches. I just remember like we'd, you know, turn on the TV and they'd kind of be showing all the guys, you know, that were going to be going the first round, all their highlights and stuff from college. And, um, and then I, I really just remember everybody just kind of like stood up and started like clapping uh, when they announced my name. And I just like had this picture at home where it's just, I kind of just put, you know, my head in my hands and just started crying a little bit. And, uh, you know, my, my pitching coach was there and, uh, you know, he kind of pulled me aside after that and gave me a big hug. And, um, you know, he got pretty emotional too. So I think it was an awesome experience. The top end of the 2009 draft would eventually cause a very different sort of emotion for fans of the Mariners and Padres, who came oh so close to Strasburg, but wound up with Dustin Ackley and Donovan Tate, respectively. Ackley, a center fielder out of UNC, who signed a five-year contract worth $9.5 million, never flourished as hoped with Seattle. He posted a 672 OPS over 584 games with the club from 2011 to 2015. And Tate, a center fielder selected by the Padres out of a Georgia high school, signed for $6.7 million, and because of injuries and treatment for substance abuse, never set foot above A-ball. He left baseball altogether in 2017 to go to college and to join the Arizona Wildcats as a quarterback. 
As for the Nats, signing Strasburg was no easy task. The negotiations with Boris came down to the final minutes before a midnight deadline on the night of August 17, 2009. Strasburg was at home, waiting. That was intense. You know, I think it was weighing the options. Um, you know, at that, that time, all the rules and stuff have changed, but I think you look at what other number one picks got um, leading up to that, and, uh, you know, I kind of had something that we were comfortable with, and, and once it kind of got to that point where he felt like it was a fair offer, um, you know, it was like waiting to hear back, and uh, it got down to like three minutes, and I just remember kind of like breathing kind of hard into a, a paper bag, like no joke, and then, uh, you know, they agreed to it. I got a call from Scott like a couple minutes before, and I was like, all right, you know, it's done, so. Strasburg and the Nats ultimately agreed on a four-year, $15.1 million deal including a $7.5 million signing bonus. The bottom line was that both sides needed each other. Had a deal not gotten done, Strasburg would have been taking a gigantic risk going back to San Diego State for his senior season. And the Nats would have risked a major opportunity to get their franchise on more solid footing. Mike Rizzo says he knew he couldn't let Strasburg get away. There was a couple. Uh, there was a couple of times that uh, I felt less optimistic uh, than others, but uh, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to sign him. We needed to sign him, and yeah. uh, you know, you, you just can't let that talent walk out the door. Strasburg's contract had major ramifications, not just on the Nationals, but on the draft itself. The ink wasn't even dry on the deal when people began using it as evidence that the entire system was broken. On the day the news was announced. One anonymous club official told Jason Stark, then writing for ESPN.com, quote, What Steven Strasburg has succeeded in doing is that now, to me, there's no question that there will be a formal slotting system in the next labor agreement. That executive was accurate. When MLB owners and the Players Association ratified a new collective bargaining agreement in November of 2011, the draft was a major source of change. The signing deadline was moved up, teams were forbidden from giving draft picks major league contracts, and the first signing bonus pools, a limitation on how much money teams can dole out to their draft picks, were established. As Jonathan Mayo explains, there was a pretty direct line between Strasburg and those changes. When you have a guy who's so clearly the number one pick, and frankly, represented by the agency that represented both him and then Bryce Harper there, you can, it's not difficult to connect the dots to baseball feeling that there needed to be a way to control the spending to an extent. And, you know, since the bonus pool uh, structure, obviously nothing has come close to that. Teams have been creative in terms of needing to pay guys a little bit more, uh, but Nothing's come close to that. Because of the fastball, because of the draft position, because of the money, Strasburg's pro career began with enormous expectation and attention. Strasburg wasn't comfortable with any of it. He might have morphed himself into a pitching monster with better training and a better diet, but inside, he was still the introverted kid who had been told early in his freshman year that he was nothing special. 
There were many times in his brief minor league career and early in his major league career when he wished he could have prepared and pitched without any scrutiny, without any pressure, and most of all, without any autograph hounds. Well, I thought that my time at San Diego State and I wasn't really like the, you know, I didn't have a situation like other guys coming into high school where I was highly touted or anything like that. And so um, it was kind of ingrained in me early on that, you know, I was just another guy. And uh, I was just, you know, my pitching coach would always tell me, I was like, don't forget, like, you're just another donkey. And, uh, you know, he would tell me that even after I signed. Um, so it was a little bit frustrating because, like, you know, I think a lot of guys who may not be put in that spotlight or get the, you know, the, the hype around it, um, they get, you know, the opportunity to kind of get their feet wet and uh, not really have, like, this added, you know, expectation or feeling that, like, you have to prove, like, everybody that they're right. And, um, you know, you get, you get scrutinized a little bit more. Um, I just thought it was – some guys thought it was cool and everything like that, but it was, like – it was funny, like, uh, when Brandon, Brandon Snyder was here, we were on the Fall League team together that year, and uh, that was, like, my first, like, exposure of kind of just, like, the craziness, especially with guys wanting your autograph, like, your own men waiting for you out by your car. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, one game, he's like, he thought it would be great to just put on my jersey. And so he put on my jersey, and he goes out, and, like, this whole mob of, like, grown men like start chasing him down and I just walk out and like there's these uh, these kids there that obviously recognize me and they're like hey, can I have your honor? so I sign for the kids and then I get on the bus but like these grown men like all they know is like they see the name on the back and they're like freaking out so that that got a little hairy because I think like you know you I understand that that's a part of it you know when you're on the field and stuff like that but once they start crossing the line and start following you around following following you home which happened a few times uh, it's, it starts to get a little a little stressful Strasburg endured it and when he made his debut that June night in 2010 he more than lived up to the hype and on the other side of the country those who knew him when like his high school coach Scott Hopgood were watching every minute of it Here's what Hopgood remembers about that night. You know, it's crazy. When he made his, his MLB debut, um, all the guys from the team got together. I'm actually looking at the restaurant, OG's Pizza here in Santee. And we're like, dude, let's let's all get together. We'll, you know, have a good time. We'll watch the game. It'll be awesome. Well, Aaron Richardson was one of our pitchers. He was actually the guy that I thought was more ready. Um, he shows up. We're like, oh, hey, what's going on? He goes, I told my boss I was sick. We're like, oh, that's awesome, until the TV crew showed up and started interviewing all of us, and they put him on, and his boss sees him doing an interview on TV about Strasburg and how he's here celebrating the major league debut, and they fired him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm like, well, you know what? Uh, You'll never forget that job, ever. And you'll never forget his debut, the day you got fired. Congratulations. (laughs) It was an unforgettable night for all who witnessed it. And while Strasburg has dealt with Tommy John surgery and other assorted injuries in his big league career, as well as his infamous September shutdown that might have contributed to the Nats not advancing deep into the postseason in 2012, he has undeniably been a worthwhile investment for Washington. Although, there was some irony in the fact that 
that the same guy who was rarely allowed to hit in high school because his size made him a danger to his own health on the base pass wound up winning a silver slugger honor in 2012. Hopgood still can't believe that. I cracked up. I cracked up. His first award was Silver Slugger. <laughs> <laughs> that cracked me up. I'm like, no way. First award in the big leagues was for Silver Slugger Award. That boy. In May of 2016, Strasburg and the Nats agreed to a seven-year, $175 million extension that ensured he would remain an integral member of the organization for most, if not all, of his major league career. You can buy a lot of burritos with that kind of money. But Strasburg long ago learned how to get away from a diet with a ton of calories. Then he learned how to handle a career with a ton of attention. It has made this reluctant superstar one of the great stories in baseball. A player who changed the game by changing himself and never succumbing to the external pressures. My personality is something that like, I, don't, I don't need attention. Like I, I enjoy... You know, I play this game for certain reasons, and everybody does. And I think one of them is is that, you know, whether it's a good or a bad thing, I'm a perfectionist, and I've I've always liked the feeling of the baseball in my hands, and I've always liked the being able to make it move the way my mind is telling it to move. And um, you know, those those simple things are is something that really draws me to the game. But um, everything else that goes with it was was a struggle at times. Um, but I think it's, it's only made me stronger as a person. I hope you enjoyed this look at Steven Strasburg's draft story. Thanks to my producer, Marissa Morris, and thanks to MLB.com reporter Jamal Collier for his interview assistance with this episode. Thanks to Steven Strasburg, Mike Rizzo, Scott Hopgood, Mark Martinez, Mike Fires, and Jonathan Mayo for their help telling this story. If you like the show, be sure to download the other episodes in this series to hear the 2009 draft stories of Mike Trout, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, J.D. Martinez, and Jeff Luno. You can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us to help others find the show. Until next time, I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, and thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.